0: Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sent plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes testimonies are my delight, they are my counselors. Those are verses 17 through 24 of Psalm 119, the first 24 verses of which are the psalm appointed for today, Wednesday, November the 30th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along. We're looking still at the prophecy of Amos, who is prophesying to the northern kingdom, by the way, I think I've forgotten to actually mention that, Um, and then we're in Second Peter three, one to ten, and then finally in the gospel according to Matthew, the twenty first chapter, verses twenty three to thirty-two. So <clears throat> Amos, remember, is is prophesying to a wealthy, prosperous nation at the time, and so they they don't receive this very well, largely because they don't see that happening. It seems like good times. And so, for somebody now to show up who says I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet, but I do have a word, it, it seems a little odd. It's a discordant note into what otherwise is a blissful existence of prosperity. And hey, we're worshiping. We're we're bringing plenty of sacrifices and offerings and all that kind of stuff. It's all good. But Amos has a particular set of uh, complaints to make against them, and that is that you're not keeping the important parts of the law. You're you're prosperous, and you do the religious things. You're giving lip service, but it's mostly kind of like a bribe that you're you're doing all these things in order that you'll continue to get blessed, in spite of the fact that you don't actually love one another. You're taking advantage of one another, and you're worshiping other gods. And so that's the main criticism. So he says, thus says the Lord, are the shepherds As the shepherd rescues from the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued with a corner of a couch and a part of a bed. In other words, a remnant, only a portion of those that are there are going to survive this thing. Hear and testify against the house of Jacob, declares the Lord God, the God of hosts, that on the day I punish Israel for his transgressions, I will punish the altars of Bethel which is where they had set up another center for worship to keep the people in the northern kingdom from going back down to Jerusalem. They set up a separate worship center in competition with Jerusalem so that they could keep everybody together and, and they wouldn't continue to go back down into the southern kingdom for worship even. And the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. I'll strike the winter house along with the summer house, and the houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall come to an end, declares the Lord. In other words, all your wealth is going to be gone. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan who are on the mountains of Samaria. These, these are women. <laughs> <laughs> that he's speaking of i mean I, I don't this is not exactly politically correct language that amos is using here hear this word you cows of bashan who are on the mountain of samaria who oppress the poor who crush the needy who say to your husbands bring that we may drink eat drink and be merry for tomorrow well The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that, behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. And you shall go out through the breaches, each one straight ahead, and you shall be cast into Harmon, declares the Lord. You're going to be cast out of the land. You're going to be cast into an evil place. Come to Bethel and transgress, to Gilgal and multiply transgression. There was a second center for worship set up in Gilgal. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. I mean, this is just sarcasm is all it is. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened, which is not what you're supposed to do, and proclaim free will offerings. Publish them, for so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord God. So this is all sarcasm that, that he's aimed at this false worship, the worship that's only designed to do one thing, and that's to get God to do what's necessary to make them more and more prosperous. There's no true thought of real worship. There's no true thought of whether or not their lives are fitting. Um, It's just, oh, if we give these sacrifices, we give this money, we do these things, then God is liable to bless us. He has to, because we're doing all the sacrifices— these are the things that he promised. Yes, no he didn't. He says time and time again through the prophets, it's not for your sacrifices that you're being rebuked. It's because you're you're failing to do the weightier matters of the law like justice and mercy. You're not doing those things. You're you're keeping the letter of the law but you're not got nothing to do with the intent of the law. They're missing it completely and so that's the point of Amos's complaint against them, or the Lord's complaint through Amos—a better way to say that—in the Gospel, Jesus, remember, had that this morning prior to where our lesson begins today, he had cursed the fig tree, and it had withered. And so, when he enters the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, hey, uh, uh, "By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority?" Because we're the ones who kind of oversee. The temple, right? We're the chief priests and the elders, and so we kind of oversee what happens in the temple and around the temple, and we're just curious who it was that told you that you could do the things that you're doing in the temple, because it's our temple, is essentially what they're asking him. So Jesus answered them, I'll ask you a question. If you tell me the answer, then I'll also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where did it come from, heaven or man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he'll say, Then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from man, well, we're afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We don't know. (laughs) And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. They wouldn't have believed him. If he had said, I do these things through the authority of the Son of the Father, whose temple this actually is, Um, then you're not going to believe me there either. And so he's asked a similar kind of question, put them into a place where they're trying to answer both things at the same time. They realize they're backed into a corner here only because they refuse to recognize John was truly a prophet and because they truly fail to recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. And so he backs them into a corner, but it's a corner that they created for themselves by failing to believe. You know, that's the way they got backed into the corner, was they had failed to believe. And so they think they're in control of the temple. This is their temple. They're the ones who have been appointed and anointed to oversee this thing, and and they haven't given him permission to preach and teach and drive people out or to heal in the temple precincts. So then he looks and he says, what do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, son, go work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he didn't go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you didn't believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you didn't afterwards change your mind and believe in him. So he's he's saying that, that you act as though you are um, God's people, and yet when he told you to go, you you don't go. The tax collectors and prostitutes actually repented of their sins. You didn't. And so when Jesus compares the chief priests and the elders and the scribes and the Pharisees to the tax collectors and prostitutes unfavorably, how do you think that's going to go? But he's telling them the truth, that the call that John put forth was repentance. And so what was he a prophet of? What was his prophecy? His prophecy was that Messiah is coming. God is coming in judgment, and his job was to prepare people for the coming of Messiah by calling them to repent and calling them to new life. And so what Jesus is saying is, is that, that actually the people who heeded the warning, the people who are really God's people, are the tax collectors and the prostitutes because they're the ones who actually heard and responded to the call of the Lord. You didn't. You're the ones who said, oh, I'll go, and then you never went. You, you give lip service to things, but you don't follow through. You, you pretend to be the good son, but you're not and so it's a, a shot that he takes against them and it gets worse in Matthew's gospel because we're getting ready to get to the woes on the scribes and the Pharisees the hypocrites as he describes them and he's calling them out here in front of the people they're the they're trying to call him out and get him to stop what he's doing because they think they control this whole thing but the reality is is that in every single thing that happens the person in control is actually Jesus not the Pharisees and the scribes and the chief priests. It looks like they are, and it certainly does the night of the trial, but ultimately, he's the one in control of all things. In the passage from Second Peter, we get as he says, this is now the second letter that I'm writing you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles knowing this first of all scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires and they'll say where's the promise of his coming for ever since the fathers fell asleep all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation so okay you say that jesus is coming soon well you know things just continue apace this is probably we have to assume written actually before the fall of the temple before, before AD 70, because they, they could only say that in that circumstance. So the, the statement is is that, you know, we don't see any evidence of his coming. We, we're not seeing what you're seeing. You keep making a claim, but there's no reason for us to believe that claim. And everything's continued exactly the same way as it always has, you know. So th- there's, that's much the attitude of the world today towards Christian claims that Jesus is coming again, which is it has been a couple thousand years. And things don't seem to be moving in your direction, do they? And so they'll say things like, well, we're going to be on the right side of history. You're going to be on the wrong side of history, Um, because that's what it looks like for all the world, and that's the problem. But Peter is trying to remind them, no, remember what the prophets said, and remember then what we're called to believe. And so they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. And so what he's saying is, is that, yeah, that attitude you have towards everything looks exactly the same as it did. Things are continuing the way they always have. Yeah, uh-huh. Well, in Noah's day, that's what it looked like, too. And, well, until it didn't. And so he, what he's saying is is that, that the, the heavens and the earth, then, were deluged in the flood but now he says by the same word the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire so no god won't flood the earth again and destroy it by flood there's a different end of the earth that will come um, finally before the new creation comes and that means it will be burned up and it'll be dissolved but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that the Lord with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing any of you should perish, but that all should reach repentance, which is exactly what John had come to proclaim, but it's also the same message that he gave to his people when when that he gave to Abraham even. Um, when he told him that, the people, that his people would end up being in Egypt for 400 years because the sin of the Canaanites had not yet filled the land. And so that's the, the uh, patience of God it is allowing things to go on longer and longer than anybody could imagine to the point where they think that, well, there is no God any longer. He doesn't care. He has abandoned it, and all this was a lie. And then suddenly, God shows up in judgment. And you we, we can see this again and again and again. What would it have been like to live in Nazi Germany in the 19, late 1930s and early 1940s? And that would be, oh my gosh, this is the Third Reich. They, they expect this to last a thousand years. Obviously, Hitler wasn't going to live that long. But that was their own claim, that this would be the Third Reich, the third thousand-year reign, and that it would start there in this vile, vile way. Through them and and it for a while it certainly looked like there was no way around that that it was going to be established as they ran over Poland and Austria Hungary and all the uh, France and and then it begins suddenly the kingdom comes and, and God breaks in and destroys the Third Reich that was going to have its millennia well a little bit less than a decade but that's a long time when you're in the midst of it and people are dying and. And I know people now that are saying, oh, we're in the tribulation, we're in the whatever, and God's going to rescue his people, that, that we're going to have the rapture and all that. Well, I don't even have an opinion about that. But what I am saying is is that, that we have to be prepared in our times to rise up. We, we can't expect that God's going to move in and save the day at the last minute, whatever we think the last minute may be. It'll probably be longer than that. It's going to get worse before it gets better sort of a thing that's typically how it works out and so here we see that that same thing that that Peter is saying there and that is that's what happened in the days of Noah everything looked great there was just this one nut job who was over there doing well we don't know what he was building that weird boat and he was also collecting all these animals and whatever and he kept saying the end is coming and we just laughed at him and thought that was a joke and then suddenly the heavens opened And then we didn't know what to do, and so we perished. And so Peter says, on the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So what he's saying is judgment is real, and judgment is coming. Now, it's been a couple thousand years since Peter wrote this uh, epistle, but that doesn't mean that he's not coming. It doesn't mean that at all. We need to constantly be prepared for the coming of the Lord. We need to prepare ourselves to be a people who are excited to greet him and not embarrassed to greet him. We need to be those who are looking for his coming, but who are also proclaiming his coming again, and we're praying for those who do not know him, that they too might experience the salvation that we have.